Well, hey, it's great to have you with us. And everybody who's watching online, I want to give a big shout out to you. I'm absolutely thrilled to study God's word with you this morning. So if you have a Bible with you and you want to follow along with me, we'll be in Luke chapter 22. We're exploring all of the meals with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Actually, quite a few that we've seen in this series. And uh, you know, we're continuing our series today called Jesus at the Table. And this week, we want to look at the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples. Now, no meal embodies the essence of Christianity more than the Last Supper of Jesus. Uh, this uh, unparalleled meal um, is something that we recall every time that we celebrate communion together. Um, but I've often wondered, how did a meal, like the Last Supper of Jesus, it's so uh, important, so monumental, come to be celebrated with such tiny crackers and cups? Anybody else ever wondered this, or am I the only one? I mean, it's their little, I mean, that's, this is a big deal. And how we're, like, now we have these little cups, crackers. Uh, during my time as a youth pastor, we would go on camps, weekend retreats, and they all culminated on Saturday night uh, with a message from God's Word and a powerful time of worship. And then with our students, kind of at the end of the night, we would reflect on the cross and take communion together. But we had a special way of doing communion on our weekend retreats. Our students would break into small groups, and communion is meant to be a community event. Communion, community, so we'd be in our small groups. Every small group had a leader. And uh, then I would start handing out loaves of bread and jugs of grape juice. And I said, tonight we are putting the meal back into the communion meal. And uh, the, the youth would just, they were so hungry by the end of the day, they would eat tons of bread and cups full of juice. And then, I would begin to hear them sharing about Jesus and how he had made a difference in their life. And I like to think that this meal is kind of what Jesus had in mind when he said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, we're talking about the Lord's Supper today and this special meal that Jesus instituted for the church. And maybe you have questions about communion, like uh, where does communion come from? What is it about? What does it mean? Who can participate? There's so many questions that we have around the topic of communion, and we don't often get a chance to just spend a little bit of time to learn about that from God's Word. So we're going to find out the answer to those questions today. But here's the big idea for us. Jesus uses the symbolism of the Passover meal to reveal the saving purpose of the cross, which we remember when we practice communion today. So what we're going to see in Luke chapter 2. Jesus uses the symbolism of the Passover meal. This come, there's a history to this. To reveal the saving purpose of the cross. There's a meaning which we remember when we practice communion today. We still participate in this special meal. Now to this point in our study of Luke's gospel, we've seen how Jesus welcomes sinners. He forgives them. Jesus has also revealed on several occasions that he is going to suffer. He's going to be put to death. And his death is absolutely integral to his mission. And now during a final Passover meal, Jesus, Jesus makes it plain that he will suffer and soon. He points out 
at the table, his betrayer. That would have been a crazy moment. And this is really interesting. For the first time ever in Luke's gospel, Jesus is actually going to explain the meaning and significance of his death. So as I said, up to this point, Jesus said, I'm going to die. It's going to be integral to my mission. But he saved explaining the meaning of his death to this very moment. So today we're going to discover why Jesus went all the way to the cross for me and for you. Anytime we receive communion, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to look at three powerful reminders, three important truths we want to remember every time we come to the Lord's table. But I have this sense that today we're going to be standing on holy ground. You get that sense? Like we are now moments from the cross. And Jesus is taking a a special moment with his disciples to explain the purpose of his suffering and death. So let's take a look at that. This is such a powerful passage. These are the immortal words of Jesus from Luke 22. We'll pick it up in verse 14. Here's what it says. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then if you want to jump down to verse 27, the disciples argue about who's the greatest. Kind of a bonehead move. (laughs) This is the Last Supper. They're like, hey, Jesus, who's the greatest? And I love this line from Jesus, so I'm tagging it on at the end. Who is greater? The one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table, but I am among you, Jesus said, as one who serves. Wow. Let's open our time with a word of prayer. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we're in the house of the Lord. Thank you for the body broken and the blood shed for us on our behalf. That we don't ever tire of hearing the joyful news of that. And we're looking forward to remembering that in communion at the end of service today, God. But we want to have a better idea of what you came to do. So thank you for your word, which teaches us and encourages us to help our lives to be transformed in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we come to the table, when we gather and we hold that bread and cup in our hands, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So what do we want to remember when we come to the table? Number one, three powerful reminders. Here's the first. Remember the meal. Remember the meal. Remember this meal that Jesus describes in the Gospels. Now, Jesus and his disciples have arrived in Jerusalem. They're, uh, they're, uh, they've gathered around this table in a large, furnished upper room. You know, kind of, in my mind, I think about that uh, painting by da Vinci, You know, maybe it was something like that, maybe not, I don't know. But this had to have been a significant moment of fellowship 
for Jesus and his disciples. Look at how Jesus, uh, look at how Luke describes the scene, Luke twenty two fourteen. 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Remember, uh, Jewish people would normally sit at, uh, at the table, but then at special meals, they actually did this thing called reclining at the table. Uh, don't have time to go into that, but they're reclined. It's a very special meal. Jesus said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Nice. A lot of blessing going on. That was great. Loved it. So Jesus shares, he longs to eat this meal. His whole life, his whole ministry are now culminating in this hour that has come. And it must have been a special moment for Jesus to share a final meal with his friends before he goes to the cross, before he suffers and dies. But I also want you to notice in in these verses right here, how the Lord's Supper centers on God's salvation in the past, the present, and future. All three temporal dimensions are represented here. Pretty crazy. And I want to pull those out, highlight those for you. This meal, right, that we're going to celebrate centers on God's salvation in the past, present, and future. We celebrate. We want to remember all those dimensions. Let's start with the past. The meal they're sharing is explicitly called a Passover meal. Jesus says in verse 15, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Uh, One of the most significant Jewish holidays is Passover. Jesus was Jewish. He celebrated Passover every year of his life. Um, Passover is a celebration that recalls the Old Testament story of Exodus and how God saved the Israelites from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. This is truly, Passover is a salvation celebration. At the center of the Passover meal was a lamb. On the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, God told his people to kill a lamb, to take its blood and paint the doorposts. Remember that? And um, when God was pouring out his wrath on the Egyptians, uh, God said that he would pass over those homes that had the blood on the doorposts. God's people were literally trusting in the blood. God protected them, and God saved them, and they ate this final meal before departing from Egypt, it says, in haste. You're going to want to gird up your loins. I don't even know what that means, but they're ready to go. And it included unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and the all-important Passover lamb. I find it remarkable final meal Jesus shares with his disciples before shedding his blood on the cross is a Passover meal. Isn't that interesting? And he's doing this, first of all, so they'll remember God's salvation in the past. But Jesus is also doing it in a way that points to the fact that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Right? It's all pointing to him, this whole pattern, this whole feast. It's all, it's all meant to bring their mind to Jesus and what he's doing for them by shedding his own blood and dying on the cross for the 
salvation of the world. Jesus is, uh, th this whole Passover meal is being remade with Jesus at the center. And that brings us to the present. So this meal, we're remembering the meal, recalls the past saving work of God. The present, notice how Jesus connects the past with the present in verse 15. I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The one word that Jesus uses to summarize his death and his work of salvation is this word, suffer. Jesus will be crucified on a cross. And the cross, you remember, was a form of execution. The cross was reserved for the worst of the worst in the Roman world. And although Jesus committed no sin, he died a criminal's death. He hung on a cross. Now, the victims were, their arms and their legs were nailed to a wooden beam. And they would hang until they died in the most tor torturous and painful way possible. And this is the horrific way that Jesus would die. So painful was it to die on a cross that a whole new word had to be invented. Excruciating, which means out of the cross. The Lord's Supper remembers God's present salvation. And Jesus speaks here of his broken body and shed blood. It remembers the past salvation, the present salvation. Finally, it looks ahead to our future salvation when Jesus returns. I love this. There's a greater meal to come. Verse 16. And Jesus says, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. This is incredible. So we recognize that the reign of God, right, the kingdom of God has broken into human history in the coming of Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus came as the Christ. It means Messiah, Lord. And anyone who, who confesses that Jesus is Lord, he's our risen Savior, we are a part of that kingdom. And we see how wonderful and astonishing it is that we, have, we get to share in that. There, it's a tremendous privilege to be a part of the kingdom of God. But we also await a return of Jesus Christ where his kingdom comes in full. How awesome is that? And the Bible teaches there will be a resurrection of the dead, a judgment, a new heaven and a new earth. Evil and suffering will be vanquished forever. Wow. I like Revelation where it says the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That's where history is headed. And the Bible says that what better way could we celebrate this new life, this new eternity in the new heaven and new earth that says, we're going to have a meal. There's going to be a feast. It's going to be unlike anything we've experienced. Isaiah looked ahead to it in Isaiah 25.5. Um, when we did our Isaiah study on the mountain of the Lord Almighty, we'll prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best meats and the finest of wines. All right. That sounds great. To me. I'm pumped for that. 
few weeks ago in our study of Luke, uh, Jesus mentioned the resurrection of the righteous. He's going to raise us up when he returns. Do you remember the response, Luke 14, 15? When one of those at the table heard with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat the feast in the kingdom of God. Greater meal awaits us. See, Jesus knows death is not the end. He will rise from the dead. And by the way, he's going to share a couple more meals with his friends and, and followers. Uh, we'll see that in the next two weeks as we round out this series. But what does he mean that I won't share another meal? He's talking about the Passover meal. He's not going to share another salvation supper until he returns in glory, until the kingdom of God comes. Uh, Jesus said it once. He says it again as the Last Supper continues. Verse 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. There it is again. If you've been paying attention, you notice that Jesus takes the cup, gives it to his disciples. Then he takes the bread, and then he's going to take another cup. And if that's strange to you, um, it, it made me wonder, like, why is it cup, bread, cup? We normally just do bread cup. And I found out that the Passover meal traditionally consists of four cups. And it's very likely that Jesus is holding in his hands the very first cup because his words echo the traditional Jewish blessing over the first cup, which says, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has created the fruit of the vine. And you hear that parable there, or par parallel. The meal of Jesus, uh, Jesus also opens the meal with a prayer. Uh, kind of a good pattern. Jesus starts the meal with a prayer. We can start our meals with prayer, just like Jesus. I like that. It says Jesus gave thanks. The Greek word for give thanks comes from the root, uh, Greek root, Eucharisto, which means to give thanks. In a lot of traditions, the Lord's Supper is actually called the Eucharist, right? It just means give thanks. It's a good reminder that when we celebrate the Lord's table together, time for giving thanks for what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's a time to Eucharisto or give thanks. So we'll talk more about what Christ has done. Before we do, let's summarize our insights so far. We as a church gather together. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. We hold in our hands the bread and the cup. Start by remembering the meal. Remember that you are participating in a salvation of God's past, present, and future celebra celebration. You are, you are in this story of God's salvation for all time. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? So what else do we want to remember? Number two, when we celebrate communion, remember the symbolism. Uh, a mother wrote in uh, a few years ago a story to Reader's Digest. Uh, a true story, and she said, when my son William was young, we belonged to a small country church. On communion day, deacons would pass around the bread and the juice. One Sunday, we attended church uh, out of town that was more formal, and what our church called bread and juice, this church referred to as the elements. You ever heard that? We're going to pass around the elements? Sometimes say that here. Uh, but that was a word that young little William didn't understand. So as communion began, the pastor said, 
if the deacons will come forward, the elements will pass among us. Well, William suddenly got excited, and uh, Mom said, I didn't know why. Then he leaned toward me, whispered something that caused me to bust out in church, laughing out loud. Uh, with all eyes on us, she said, I took him by the hand. We made a hasty exit. All the way to the car, he protested, Mom, we're going to miss the circus. The pastor said the elephants were going to pass among us. Hey, that would get me excited too. But uh, communion here doesn't include elephants, unfortunately. Uh, but it does include the elements of bread and juice. And when we partake in communion, we're holding this bread and juice in our hands. And the question is, what is the meaning? And Jesus has been telling us he's going to go to a, he's going to die. He's going to be put to death for the very first time in the gospel. Of Luke. We're now coming to understand the meaning of the cross. He's sharing it with his disciples right in this moment. So what's the symbolism? We need to remember verse 19. Listen to Jesus. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So these words of Jesus, this is my body, this is my blood, have caused quite a bit of debate in the history of the church. It was a sticking point for those Protestant reformers um, with their uh, counterparts in the Roman Catholic Church. Some of you may know, Roman Catholic view, uh, during communion, the bread and the cup, according to the Catholic view, are literally the body and blood of Jesus. Now, if any of us would have been there that day at that last supper, and Jesus is handing out the bread, and he's handing out the wine, and he said, this is my body, this is my blood, none of us would have thought that's literally the body and blood of Jesus, because Jesus is actually standing right there in front of us, right? Like in the same way, when Jesus says, I am the door, nobody thought he's literally a door. No, we understand that the body, right, the bread and the cup are representing for us, right? That's when he's handing it out. He said, this represents my body that was broken for you. This represents my blood, which was shed for you, do this in remembrance of me. These are powerful visuals, right? They're visuals. We can see powerful symbols that remind us of what Christ has done for us in shedding his blood. And truly, right, Christ is present with us in these moments. Jesus said, surely I'm with you always. Right? He is present in a real and spiritual way. He said, I'm, I'm truly, surely, I'm, I'm with you to the very end of the age. But notice how the giving of Jesus' body, along with the pouring out of his blood, is for us. He's laying down his life in our place, on our behalf. And, and none of us always do what's right. We, we all sin, we uh, fall short in many ways. And remember the warning that God gave to Adam and Eve about sin. Do you remember that? On the day you eat of this, you will surely, what does it say? Die. 
right? The, there is a sentence of death hanging over humanity because we are all sinners by nature and by choice. And what does God do in his love? He comes, he bears our sentence, right? Death, spiritual death, physical death, separation from God. He bears that by dying for us on the cross. Jesus lived the life we know we should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. He is our perfect sacrifice for sins so that by putting our hope in Jesus, we are forgiven and we receive the free gift of eternal life. Jesus even calls this meal a new covenant in his blood. Now, the new covenant was a special promise that God gave the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34. And God revealed to Jeremiah that a day was coming where God would write his law on our heart. He's going to change our life from the inside out. He will be our God. And, and part of this new covenant was that not only is he going to be our God, but we are going to know him. There's a day coming when we will, we will be in a relationship with God. We'll know him. And then God says, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And for those who've trusted in Jesus, a new day has dawned. We have come into a new covenant to know the Lord, so all of our sins are forgiven. The bread and the cup literally preach to our, sen our senses, something we can see, taste, and touch, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is our once and for all perfect sacrifice sin. That is awesome. So we come to the table. Three powerful reminders. Number one, remember the story, remember the meal and this salvation story that we're a part of. Number two, remember the symbolism. It's, a, it's symbolic of Jesus's broken body and shed blood on our behalf. Last one, remember the practice. Remember the practice. Well, let's put that big idea back up on the screen again because uh, the, the themes are starting to come together here. Jesus uses the symbolism of the Passover meal to reveal the saving purpose of the cross, which we remember when we practice communion today. Now, it's been said that the worship of the, of the church is to revolve around two central features, the word of God rightly preached, and the sacraments rightly administered. The church is the place where the word of God is preached, the sacraments are administered. The Bible tells us that Jesus gave us two sacraments or ordinances. You guys know what those are? Baptism and Holy Communion. Yep, two, two sacraments or ordinances, depending on the language you want to use. So the reason we take communion as a church is because of Jesus' statement right here. Luke twenty two nineteen, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And so communion is something Jesus told us to do. It's why we do it when we gather as a church. In the same way, baptism is one of the sacraments. Because Jesus said, go out into the world, make disciples, and baptize them. These are two really important things that Jesus told us as his followers to go out and do. Jesus wants us to remember the practice and um, I want to look at some frequently asked questions about communion as we prepare to take communion today. 
So question number one, why do we practice communion? And we should all be able to answer this now. We, we take communion because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. That's the reason why we do it. It's important to remember that we don't take communion as something we do as our uh, checklist for salvation. But it is actually a faith response to what Christ has done in already saving us by dying on the cross for our sins. Does that make sense? It's not something we're doing to earn our favor with God. It's something that we're celebrating because of what Christ has already done. It's a little bit different mindset. We're reflecting upon Jesus' body and blood that purchased our salvation once and for all. Question two. How often should we celebrate communion? The, uh, there's a, we learn about the early church, like the very first church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And if you'll go and read Acts 2, 42 to 47, you'll discover that when those early Christians gathered, they worshipped, they heard teaching from God's word, they fellowshiped, and it said they broke bread together. That could possibly refer to the Lord's Supper or Communion. And if that's true, the earliest Christians would have celebrated communion or the Lord's Supper every Sunday when they gathered. Now, churches today have different traditions around how often communion is celebrated. Some churches celebrate every week, some every month. Others do it every quarter. The Bible doesn't have any specific command as to how often we should take communion together. Um, There are... Some churches choose not to offer communion every week, and and the rationale is to avoid making it a routine or to diminish its significance. And here at Hope, we've always celebrated communion once a month. The week rotates because a lot of you serve our kids and Kids Connection, and we want to make sure everybody has a chance to celebrate communion. Who is allowed to take communion? That's another good question. Here at Hope, we practice open communion. And that just means if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're in right relationship with God and with uh, your fellow, uh, you know, fellow uh, people around you, then we welcome you to join us in taking communion together. It's open communion. But what if you're not a follower of Jesus? And here I would just say, we're really glad you're here today. And we would recommend that you wait until you have put your trust in Jesus, so it will be something special and memorable for you. We say here at Hope, genuineness is encouraged, and so it's okay to come and to still be on that journey, and we just invite you to wait until you've truly put your trust in Christ to celebrate communion with us. Make it real, make it genuine, not just something that's a routine. Question number four. Uh, how old do my children need to be to, re- to receive communion? Uh, it's a great question, mom and dad. And the Bible actually doesn't specify an age that somebody needs to be to take communion. Um, but parents, we recommend that you wait until your child is uh, old enough or, mat- or mature enough, might be the better word. Wait till your child's mature enough that they truly understand the gospel, what Jesus has done for them, and they have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. A personal faith in Christ is the must. This is his meal for his followers. Number five, how do I prepare myself for receiving communion? 
Paul urges us in 1 Corinthians 11.28, let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink the cup. This salvation supper has been provided by God in Christ, and we're to come examining ourselves, confessing our sin, and thanking Jesus for the cross. I love this quote about examining ourselves. Um, I have a tendency to, to beat myself up. I don't know if you guys do, but this has just always encouraged me. The quote says, for every one look you take at your sin, give 10 looks to Jesus. What great assurance do we have when we come to the table and we realize that what Christ has done is so much greater than any of our sin and it fills our heart with so much hope knowing that he paid the price in full. So we do take a look at our sin, we examine ourselves and we confess that to the Lord, but then we go right to the cross and we thank Jesus for what he did for us by shedding his blood and by being crucified on our behalf.